Hello, welcome to MKB Body and Mind's podcast. This month we're covering the topic of identity. We're going to be looking at a range of different perspectives of identity through education to the media we consume to the way our parents brought us up and generally just be discussing that. This week I've got my younger brother Adam Bella Juan on the show. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Yeah, so as a uh... Marco was saying I'm um, his younger brother and I think it'd be interesting to see how we derive our identity from different aspects of our life. Okay, so let's start with the obvious question, Adam. Um, what, what is identity? Um, I think it's how we, how we present ourselves to each other and how we see ourselves. Okay, so you believe that identity is more about the first part that you talked about, which is how we present ourselves to each other, or more about how we see ourselves? Um, I think there's, there's maybe two, two elements to it that, that kind of balance each other. So I think when we're presenting ourselves to other people, we can sort of manip- manipulate our identity mm-hmm. in order to fit into a group more easily whereas when we are looking at ourselves I think we get a clearer idea of what maybe our identity our true identity is or, or something okay. like that okay yeah I, I see your point um I would argue that that would be the distinction not necessarily between our identity but between how we use who we are for example if um I was an in- individual who was very sweet and when I was in large groups of people I went in out of my way to kind of you know tell kind of white lies rather than be blunt and tell people that I don't know they smell or they're fat or just anything offensive instead I'd be like oh you look okay or just kind of help support them that would still make me kind of a nice person I guess identity wise um, but I'd still kind of be lying so in the social kind of element of it when you're looking at how you affect people around you that's a different idea of identity to how you actually are and uh, I want to say that rather than saying that they're two different types of identity I'd say that they are both covered within identity as a whole oh yeah I get what you're saying so as in someone who does change their identity is that's part of their identity yeah for them to change yeah exactly exactly like identity is not so linear yeah it's kind of like a massive picture that has multiple dimensions yeah um which could get into a pretty sci-fi topic about the identity and lineage and time and how that really changes but we're not going to go that way because we haven't really researched that aspect but if you do have any interesting comments about that let me know so let's um let's just talk about where we get our identity from so there is this basic argument of nature versus nurture like you know i'm born it's all written in my genes how i am or is it i'm born and i'm a blank slate and the universe is kind of coding me as i grow up um which which would you be more compelled to say is um I think it's primarily nurture, but 
I do think that uh, there is a, a tiny bit of nature in there because I, as you, I think nurture is how you're brought up and that yeah. that decides your identity. But we don't decide where we're born. And I think in that aspect, it is sort of nature. Well, the the nurture element would be like how you're brought up and I'd say where you're born is less nature and also more nurture, you know, because your parents choosing to have you in that environment is an, a nurturing decision. I'd say that nature would be more, um, let's say you were born with uh, Down syndrome um, or something that was like genetically different. So I, I say Down syndrome or even the difference between a, a male uh, chromosome and a female one making you genetically different. Does that affect our identity and our personality um, as much as nurture would be? And obviously that's a pretty hot topic at the moment with yeah. like gender roles being changed up and people identifying as different things. So we're not going to like press too much on those areas, but we're definitely going to start in kind of investigating what our views are on the topic of identity and who we feel we are based from, from our birth. So like, as let's just tell the audience more about you, Adam. So like, just, just tell us a bit about you. Uh, so I'm, my name is Adam. I'm, I'm 19. I'm Algerian Italian, but I was born and grew up here. So, there's that sort of element of about where where do I come from? What is my home nation? Okay, we'll get onto that, but like more on the on the kind of like nature aspect of things. Like, what would you say is an inescapable truth about your kind of genetic code? So you're male. Uh, you're 19. Is a kind of ines- you can't really escape the fact that you're 19 um, at this moment in time. But in a year's time, you will escape it. Yeah, yeah crazily <laughs> yeah. enough. Um, what about like, you you say you're Italian Algerian, just like just like me, and does that make you inherently different? Uh, I think I think maybe to some extent, but no, me I think to that extent is just limited to maybe looks and maybe okay. my height and whatnot. I don't think a personality trait is associated with being from Italy or Algeria. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm I'm faster to get angry i don't know but that's just speculation on my part maybe maybe yeah so like if you have um this is also like something that i think should be mentioned when when your parents like people say that you do pick up personality traits from your parents and the big question is like do you pick up those personality traits because you know say you're you're like our dad is fast to get angry um you know, wherever he feels confused, whatever he's quick, quick to turn on the, yeah. the get getting stressed. Does that mean that we also experience anger at that speed? Are we more angry people because genetically we have the same genetic code, or are we more angry because we see him be angry yeah. and we feel that's that's accept like acceptable behavior? Personally, I like I think both me and you have this kind of contrast in understanding that it's not nice to be angry to someone because we've had it done to us so we're actually less likely to be angry at someone and know that when you get angry it's it's a bit more of a big deal which i would definitely say is more of a nurture element like you can't you can't really be genetically encoded to be the opposite i mean maybe you can but 
I've never heard of it happening. So like, what would you say back to you are more kind of like distinct traits about who you are? So male, uh, 19. Um, distinct traits. Uh, I, re I really can't think of any, I, by distinct, I'm, I'm assuming you mean something. Like I can't, I can't change it. Like, yeah, That yeah. is something that, even if I stripped away my nurture element, if I was thrown on that, that desert island, yeah. it would still remain. Uh, I, I honestly, I can't really think of something that's distinct to me that I, I was just born and I was already that thing. Yeah, nothing. Well, it's hard to think of something that is so significant. And I wonder that if that's because of like the, the kind of culture that we're currently in, where we don't necessarily, we kind of see a lot of stuff as fluid, like uh, our, our likes, our roles in society, everything's not, nothing's really that grounded down. It's not like the same as your eye color or your height uh, or your, your skin color, like all those things that they had you doing at GCSE biology when they try to distinguish those, like those seem so unimportant. I mean, where I grew up, I know that there are big factors in certain communities in certain areas. Um, um, but it is, I do find it, even as I asked you that question, I kind of think the same to myself and I'm like, what would I have even said about myself? So I'm certain particular height that seems to fluctuate based on how much I slouch. Uh, I've got dark hair and ginger beard. Like, I guess that's genetic. Right, even then, I don't know enough about, about it to be like, maybe... Maybe the ginger beard is just from minimal sun exposure or the lack of eating a certain maybe, type of food. Maybe the London weather has just gingified your beard. That's it, yeah. Hanging around with too many people that aren't from Italy and Algeria are just <laughs> make, making, me, making me ginger. Um, so it's, it's really hard to say. And even, I think like with most topics as well, as you get more into biology or genetics, like I'm sure the confusion factor just kind of gets bigger and bigger there's no kind of like ultimate answer um unless there is and if you are a geneticist or a biologist and you do believe that there is like let us know because we want to get educated and that's why we're doing this podcast now let's let's move on to um the nature aspect um so you were born in london and um i was born in rome now do you ever feel that there's any distinct differences between me and you in our upbringing um Bear in mind, there's a seven-year difference between us as well. I don't. I think there is a difference, but I, I don't really think it has much to do with where we were born. Okay. I think that um, because in secondary school, obviously, you went to Anglo-European school in Essex, which had mm -hmm. a very different uh, culture, or I don't know how to describe it, but a different a different feel to it as the school I went to, which was in like central London. So I think that probably would be the main difference between us okay so you think the secondary school is the a bigger distinguishing factor well let's before we go into the secondary schools and what they actually did what our the education did to us let's just talk a little bit about our like pre-adolescent lives yeah. so i was born in rome came to london went back to rome went back to london went to algeria then came back to london so that was before i was 10 so I'd lived in those places for like roughly four, four, two years, respectively, Algeria being the two years. And um, you know, because of that, I've 
I've got a bigger, better handle of um, French and Italian than than you do because I actually yeah. lived there and I studied at this point, particularly in with French and Italian, uh, French and Algerian, because well, just French really, because I had to go to school and I studied and I learned to write it and you know did the whole grammar stuff. Whereas our Italian still comes from watching TV in Italy, chatting to our grandparents kind of getting about a bit it's nothing too education yeah. but like no one's reading Dante's Inferno in in Italian no not here um and you know I I wonder sometimes if whether my the fact that I learned those languages quite young um makes a distinguish uh, distinguishes between me and you because see a topic that comes out a lot when you're talking about brain development and ultimately the nurturing of an individual is the topic of bilingual children. So bilingual children are meant to have this like greater capacity for understanding uh, and their ability to learn and pick up new languages is quite, quite easy. I speculate that it's to do with maybe like the fact that as you grow up, as you're in those younger years, you see that the word doesn't have the concrete significance you would expect it to. Like if you can say the same word in four different languages, like you're no, you're not so attached to the word of like dog, because you know you can say it in so many other languages. Whereas a child, like you've probably heard a toddler just kind of repeat one word over and over and over, like they're drilling it into their mind, like this is the truth. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, I I think in my mind there's a clear distinction between people who have never um, looked to express themselves in a different language and therefore really struggle to learn languages and um, people who, who do have that from, from a young age. Um, but where does that, where is the line drawn? Because we don't necessarily speak a different language at home. You know, our mum... Sometimes she breaks into Italian, but mainly it's, it's just broken English where she says weird words and we just laugh at her. Uh, and our dad, like, he also speaks English with occasional Algerian thrown into the mix. I think, I think that's more of a, of a mixed bag, especially if you're, like, helping him put up a shelf. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. like, give me that. Give me that and then he'll switch language. You'll be like, what yeah, are yeah. you talking about? Uh, my dad is, like, definitely the ultimate mix of languages. Yeah. He jumps between all four, so Algerian, Italian, French, and English, and you're just there, like. And then he looks at you so expectantly, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Looks at you like, what do you mean? <laughs> Don't understand. Yeah, yeah. So I like. I wonder if you ever feel that there's a difference, not from, from our secondary school point of view, but from, like, before we even started interacting. Um, I think yeah. I think definitely after hearing um, uh obviously that you had to move after hearing that obviously that you had to move around a lot more mm -hmm. and that you had to learn a lot a lot more different languages because of the seven year gap mm -hmm. i wasn't i wasn't even around back then yeah you know yeah, you weren't even a thing yeah i wasn't a thing but i think after hearing that i think with also learning these languages comes the fact that you had to learn different cultures yeah in um, yeah. like algeria and italy and england like I think these things also made a big difference to your identity as a whole mm. in comparison to mine. 
Well, I, I wouldn't say that you didn't know those cultures, though, because you were still, when we were in Algeria, you were still a young kid running around, like, in Algeria, like, kind of figuring out what was that. And I know now your perspective of Algeria is pretty, like, I mean, you've been, you go there over some summers, like, people more talk about it than you experience it, so it's it's a different thing. But, like, I'd say that you were in the loop enough to be affected by the fact that, cultural difference exists rather than like if you were like holed up in a place where you were very middle class British and you just didn't ever experience like for example the the conditions of life in in Algeria which I, I'm not saying are necessarily poor they're just inherently different yeah I, yeah. I, I agree to some 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 degree but I think in comparison to you because I was there at such a young age I can't really remember much of my experience there. Right, I, right. The experience I do get is like secondhand. Mm -hmm. So when I visited Algeria, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe five, six years ago. Yeah. And everyone was calling me baby, and I was just look, I was just looking at them like, okay. Why are you even chatting? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, your saying? your name was baby. Yeah, I was like, I was so confused yeah. by by this revelation. Like, okay, so cool. I think maybe it did impact my identity today. Right, but right. I can't remember it, so I I can't I can't say it's passively affecting. Well, you can't say that it's actively affecting. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. that's that's the word. Yeah, yeah, actively affecting me. Passively, like I wouldn't I wouldn't say they didn't. You know, I'm I'm the one I'm the person who would say that every action that you take affects you, whether it's a passive or active action. In fact, I did a post um, just yesterday mentioning that you know whatever you choose to do throughout the week makes you the person you are at the end of the week so if you choose to eat pizza and watch tv like you're not going to be the same person even if you've eaten pizza and watched tv for seven years in a row if you do it for another week you're still going to be you're going to be that different in a, in a slight element whereas if you you might not feel it as much you might not notice it as much whereas if you choose to go for a run every day become ultimately social, not watch TV, chat to a lot of people, you, f you feel that it's different. But if that's just you, you're still going to change, even if you believe that that's you, which um, I hope we can get onto um, the podcast, the kind of the habits that make us who we are. So we've, we've talked about the kind of pre-adolescent choices that we make, which are very much like environment based. You don't like, I'm sure some people might remember this, but when I was younger, I, I definitely didn't give a shit about, let's say, social structures. Like, the idea of being cool. Um, I wanted to be accepted and included, but I didn't want to be necessarily, like, the centre of anything. I didn't want to be, like, cool or respected. I just wanted to do. And uh, I think that's a really fun attitude, and I hope that every child gets to experience that. Because I have some very fun memories of me just being involved in the most random things, especially Algeria. Like, Algeria is just crazy. In fact, we had bonfire night yesterday. There's an, uh, there's an equivalent of bonfire night in Algeria. It's called Mulud, so it's a celebration of um, the birth of the Prophet, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it is. And um, basically, all the young kids, because you don't need to be a certain age to buy fireworks, buy a shitload of fireworks, and they just throw them at each other. 
So you're just constantly thrown at each other. I don't know if you remember this because you were yeah. quite young. So at the time, I was only like nine years old. But obviously, nine years old, I'm a big boy. Yeah. <laughs> Going out, throwing fireworks at people. Um, uh, by the way, it was consensual. I wasn't just throwing it. I wasn't just being like a, a yob. Yob, yeah. Is that, the, is that even the right word? I have no idea. I, I don't know. <laughs> What's that word? Yobbo or something like that? Yobbo, yeah. Yeah, something like it's that. Something. I, I wasn't being like a, a little troublemaker. I was just joining in. Like Everyone was a troublemaker. Um, and then my two younger brothers came out and this kid was chasing me and my brothers with this... Um, it's quite hard to describe. It's like, it's like this tube that you hold. You hold it in your hand and it fires out kind of different coloured flares. I think it's called a Roman candle, if I'm... Yeah, possibly. Either, either way, it fires out, it shoots out these flares. And um, you may have to shoot it in the air, obviously. But this guy is chasing us, shooting me and my two younger brothers. Adam, at this point, was two years old. Nabil was four years old. And I'm just there, like, holding them, being like, run, run, run. And I get hit on the neck with with this um, Roman candle. And at the time, my dad's not there. I think he's, he's away on business or something. And um, get home. And um, fortunately, he's not there. But like, <laughs> yeah, very fortunate. Yeah, my yeah, my fam my family was like freaking out. Then he gets back like a week later, and I still got this kind of like scarring across my neck, which is fortunately gone. Um, but he just he just flips out. But anyway, I, I got sidetracked to the point. Um, the point is those kind of like micro experiences to experience freedom in my youth like I didn't get involved in that because I was making an active choice it was just kind of like I just want to do I want to live like, I don't care what it is and then maybe the reason that secondary school stood out so much to you is because you know you have you're in a position where you have to make certain choices like you have to be yeah, you have you to can't at least feel like you have to be a certain way you can't yeah. just yeah I like that I'll yeah. do that I think in the like in comparison to let's say primary school yeah um, where for me personally i saw i saw everyone in, in my class in primary school as like a friend mm. as like someone a, a buddy yeah but there was only that one guy that, like, <laughs> that one guy <laughs> that one guy was like that guy but i think in uh, secondary school you start to, to also develop groups okay and um i think that's why it changed it sort of changes how you feel about your identity Right, right. So do you think that developing of groups is more to do with the amount of people that are in your year at secondary school? Or do you think that's more to do with just like something that happens during the age of 11 to 12 or so on? Um, I think, uh, I think it has, it, both aspects of that are included in it. But I also think it's, it's almost a defense mechanism. Okay. Because you're coming into a new a whole new thing which when you're 11 years old like you're going to secondary school it's a very important part of your life mm -hmm. and I think you you go into group into a group in order to, to develop people that you can trust and people that will have your backs okay well do you really think that you know year, year seven kids are really that concerned about the threats of not not actively but definitely passively okay because there's I think we don't really tend to look at it, to actively look at it and say, yeah, that, that person's doing that. But there's always some sort of mental warfare in secondary school. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, okay, I, I definitely get that. I mean, I, I hope you guys have seen the film Mean Girls, because I'm about to reference it, but I know it just talks about the girls, but in a sense, like, there is that kind of group sort of activity that's constantly happening, trying to get included in things. And, like, personally, from my experience with secondary school, I just want to say I had a great, great time. I would definitely go back. Um, but my first year was actually pretty tough because I'd actually, um, I choke slammed this kid in year six, right? Like, like two days before the end of school. And, and my dad was the one who had to deal with, with the, the principal when they called the school. And I just want to say I choke slammed this kid, not because I'm evil, but because I got pushed to my limit. And, um, and uh, my dad was like, if this happens at your new school, I'm going to destroy you. So I was, I, was, I was concerned. I went into that school and I hid my personality traits quick. I was there being like, I'm nice, Mr. Marco Karim Uh I'm at this language school. I speak four languages. I'm very nice to everyone. Yeah. And I used to do, like, to kind of make friends. I remember... This is a low point, definitely a low point for me. I used to buy, you know, like those uh, five packs of donuts that you can get for like 60p. Yeah. 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 Or back then 60p, maybe now it's, I don't know how I much it was. Like a pound now. Yeah. yeah. So like I'd get them and at break time I'd be like, oh yeah, who wants a donut? Yay. And <laughs> kids, kids in year seven are brutal. They are not going to, they will take a donut and they won't even look you in the eyes and say thank you. <laughs> They'll just rush you and leave you with like leave you feeling bad that you have one donut to eat because you, you, this other person's there like, oh, so I ain't getting a donut. And you're there like, um... <laughs> so, like, I, that was some, some low points for me. But very quickly, I, I kind of caught on and I noticed that, like, I didn't have to be nice. Like, my dad wasn't going to get involved in my secondary school years. And don't get me wrong, I still was, was nice and I tried to interact with people. I never, I never saw myself as, like, a person who excluded people and I always wanted to be included in a lot of things so I, I did talk to lots of different kinds of people um, but as for the shaping back to back on the topic of shaping our identity do you do you remember like some active choices that you made in secondary school that you feel reflect who you are today um uh, definitely, hundred percent. I think um, choosing to chill with different people definitely affected how I am today. Uh, when I first started secondary school, uh, the group I used to chill with, um, we used to we used to play some Yu-Gi-Oh back in the day, Year Seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah used to smack sick, that out. Sick game, yeah. It's a sick game, but I think it it, it comes to a point where yeah, you got to pay a price. For yeah, that. exactly. Like you, you can't be playing it in Year Year Eight and, and still still be up there in it yeah you gotta let it go but i think uh the decision i made that that changed my path and my identity was definitely leaving that Yu-Gi-Oh group okay well, like, definitely they were, they were calm guys but you know uh, it's just you you're in it yeah so yeah, I, I say no more yeah say so no more. i had to leave that group and i joined a different group and i that definitely changed my path about who i chilled today um what i consider fun you know yeah yeah, yeah I mean, are you saying that if you if you didn't have like a Yu-Gi-Oh deck and it was all laid out for for us, like you wouldn't have a Yu-Gi-Oh battle right now? 
I, I I would have to search up the rules actually. Yeah, so yeah, so would I, but like I'd I'd love to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. But I think now we are more comfortable as people. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> like in year seven, yeah, there's a lot of pressures. Yeah, there's a lot of pressures. Like yeah. you do, you're still developing as a person, and you you want to make sure that you you don't give you make yourself a target. Yeah, for yeah. for banter in it. So yeah. I think definitely that that was a big step. That's fair. That's fair. I um, personally, I remember certain decisions I made, like things to say that I really wanted, like my image to be a certain way. I remember like lying about. So basically, I was in year eight, and um, I think I just asked out this girl, and she hit me with uh, she hit me with the maybe. So I, I did like the classic like loser boy thing I left it to the, like the the last day before half term we were walking we were walking to the train station together and I was like um will you uh go out with me uh, and she just was like maybe and then I didn't hear for for, for a whole week <laughs> and then I got back to school and these people were like are you uh did you ask out this girl I was like, uh, uh, yeah, shit, how do they know? Fuck, this gossip spreads fast. <laughs> um, but because of that, that, that kind of pressure, I, I remember like saying this lie about I was, gonna, I was seeing this girl who was in the year above that I met in London and we were, we were going to have sex and everything. And I was in year eight, like, obviously, I was chatting shit. And not necessarily obviously chatting shit. I know some people lose their virginity in year eight. But, like, phew, I don't know, man. I just remember Stone Cold lying. I was like, ah, shit, I need to get out of this. And I was like, I told someone that I was going to sleep with her. And then the next day, they were like, oh, so did it happen? And I was like, oh, how am I going to lie out of this? And, I, and this is what I told them. I said, oh, uh, my mum gave it away because she came in and my mum was like, oh, is that one of your year eight friends? And she was looking at me like, and apparently she looked at me like, what? Why would you have year eight friends? Ah, oh, I thought you were in year 10. <laughs> and and then she, she figured it out and left. So that was like my escape from it. But that kind of social pressure, I think, really um, built up to the to the person I am to this day because I... Like I've been for the past five years, I've been pretty much like a serial dater. I find a lot of like my social socializing comes through dating. Like I put more time into dating than I have like um, developing good friendships, and that's something I regret. But I'm glad I realise it now. Um, but it's just because in my like during that stage, it's almost like it's almost like they highlight your flaws. And you're trying to like constantly develop them. So year nine, 10, 11, always going to these like awkward teen parties and trying to like get with someone or trying to do something like that or be seen a certain way. And even when like girls told me that they liked me and that there was that classic, oh, you should, you should ask her out, like this girl likes you and so on. Even if I liked them back, I'd be like, nah, can't be, can't be committed to that. Like. I had no idea what a relationship would be like. Uh, fair enough, I was in year nine. I was entitled to be an idiot. But just this obsession for like not being in a relationship and being constantly flirting just got a bit out of hand. And it's, it definitely 
like helps to build my character in a way where I'm always looking to engage with people and be a more charming individual. And that definitely came out as soon as I got my braces off, as soon as I was chatting. It really helped me through school because, like, I mean, after you get to, like, year 10, uh, if you if you have, like, if you're kind of smart enough to have good conversation, you can talk to teachers about proper things. So you can kind of have this flirt going on with the teachers, which makes it a lot more enjoyable. So you've got your friends, you've got teachers that you can chat to. They... You, because you're familiar with how they express themselves, when you go to a lesson, you're more engaged. And that's why I really enjoyed my university because I was, you know, I kind of put myself in that front line of I need to interact and engage with people. I don't think the motivation was as like great as it could have been, but the skill gained from it is definitely there. Like now, you know, put me in a room with someone, as soon as they start talking, you know, I'm, I'm engaged. It's like when we were in that sauna on Sunday, and this, uh, so we were in a sauna, getting Nigerian ladies just being overly social in a sauna, and which is fine. She starts telling me about her holiday. I'm there straight away, not like, oh yeah, that's nice. Mm. <laughs> I'm there being like, okay, cool. Where where did you go? Ah, oh, listening, trying to get this info, trying to just find out because like, I like interacting like that. Then she. It turns out she was part of this kind of like sauna community and everyone called her Big Mama. Like, no joke. <laughs> Fully called this fat Nigerian lady Big Mama. Yeah, it was quite, quite, a funny, quite a funny thing to stumble across. Um, but like... I got a bit distracted from the point. I feel like without that, without my speaking, I would be a completely different person. And um, to, to quote back to some of the motivation that we did, the motivation talks we did last, um, last month, motivation to do stuff doesn't always have to be a positive motivation. So like my motivation to develop my skills for talking and interacting were from a place of real insecurity. Like, oh, I felt like I wasn't enough because I wasn't flirting as much so that really helps me to yeah develop my skill and fair enough the motivation was that insecurity but it doesn't necessarily have to be a positive motivation as since the outcome has now become quite good and fruitful do you remember any decisions you made that you would say have have impacted your personality not just the the, the social groups that you're in now but the actual personality um, you have, have now uh, yeah, definitely. I think, um, uh, especially with in, I think, what year was it? I think it was in either year 10 or year 11 where Nabil started practicing religion more and that obviously affected me. Mm. Uh, that definitely affected my personality because obviously as a adolescent boy in secondary school... Mm. So just yeah. a quick, quick jump in. Nabil is our uh, middle brother. Just to, to keep that clear, yeah. you were saying. So, yeah. Um, so, obviously, as an adolescent boy in secondary school, you know, um, and the, the rise of internet, you know, porn was readily accessible to any, anyone. Mm -hmm. So, I think with the Nebil finding religion, I think that also obviously rubbed off on me and he taught me that as well. And I think that swayed me away from being some... Uh, porn addicted creep because it taught me like you do not have to 
like just chill okay just chill yeah yeah and i think it also just stopped me from because one of the one of the things you learn from being religious is like the believing men and believing women will lower their gaze which is just something simple like if there's an attractive woman you you don't just stare at her yeah you know and i remember having a really attractive maths teacher okay (laughs) really attractive maths teacher you had a nice bump yeah. That's why you didn't do so well in maths. That's well. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this: I had as my teacher in year ten. Yeah, yeah. and I got moved down the set the next year. So, yeah, maybe. And I had her in the same. I had the same teacher next year in that set. Oh, so she took you with her? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, I think that really came through, definitely education-wise. That like right. So I was I was actually focused on my work that year because I wasn't just preening her bum. I was okay. looking at her bum the, the whole lesson and I think also that made me um, uh, that made me be able to talk to to women more because All right. I wasn't as focused on on them in a sexual manner like I was able yeah, to yeah. talk to them as, as people rather than than objects because mm. I was looking past that their bums and whatever yeah, yeah you know so I think that that was definitely a big a big change in my personality that affected me okay so it's something that you you mentioned about porn and and being like a creep and i think that although it may seem like uh, i just want to put it out there it may seem like an exaggerated notion to think that like a a guy in year 10 could get pretty much hooked on pornography like i just want to put it out there for people that aren't really that aware that pornography is a massive um I don't necessarily want to say issue, but it is a very misunderstood kind of form of uh, entertainment because truly that that's what it is. Like if if you look at like the stimulation that pornography has to your brain, it's like sh- similar to sugar. Like you see it, it's like a reward thing. You're you're exhibiting these these kind of feelings, and you're not really you're not really identifying with your sexuality in a very nurturing way because you're not doing it with another human. You're just put in front of a screen yeah. you're like putting yourself in this comfortable position that you're comfortable in but not necessarily a position that is humane like i mean like if you're going to sleep with someone it's you and another person and you can't generally control everything that they do yeah. like whereas if you're on if you jump on Pornhub and there's you can just choose the type everything that just you know it's going to change your perspective and if you think about the the identity aspect of it if you get into it at a young age and then you're constantly you know growing up with that being part of your identity yeah. that's gonna it's gonna affect you in some way and you know this is saying from someone who's watched porn like literally since i'm not gonna say because my mom listens to this podcast <laughs> but like since before i was 13 um for those of you who know me you know when and um <laughs> and you know, I, it definitely has affected. It affects my view. It affects my relationships at the moment. And at the moment, I'm good because I, I, can, I think introspectively about the choices that I make. But think about if you didn't think about the choices you made and you had this kind of like passive development of character, where where would that individual be? And that's just a re- kind of rhetorical question to, to think about in your own time. But let's let's move back to um, to secondary school and the influence that it kind of has on you as as a person. So for you, Adam, make it like you say that religion 
kind of guided you a bit more during secondary school and this was around did you say year 10 year 11 uh yeah around year 10 year 11 okay definitely what about what about after like tell tell, tell me a bit more about what happened um, sort of after i think uh when I, before i i went on to religion i was at one extreme mm-hmm. um i was i was looking i was at one extreme basically and mm-hmm. when i first jumped into religion i think it's true with anything you you go to that other extreme almost yeah, yeah. like when you find something new, mm. you, you try go, to simplify the truth of it it's yeah like, you this go, is the way yes 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 this, yeah. this 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 and i think that's true with anything even like exercise like mm. anything like that and i think for maybe a period of maybe one to six months i was very strict about it and um even my friends tell me like <laughs> you tend to like jihadi adam when you get like <laughs> My, one of my best friends now it, it tells me literally he went home you went home one day the next day you came in yeah. I tried banter with you about some bums and you were like no no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think uh, after finding that religion I think I, I went I think you have to go to that extreme though. you have to right. you, you have to really get into it to and then relax and realise okay I can I am not this thing. This mm. thing can become part of me. Right. So you right. can start incorporating elements of that into yourself without you becoming that. Mm. Mm. So after religion, I definitely became more balanced, in my opinion. Right. So yeah. I, w- I wasn't uh, a, let's say, lad for a simpler time. Yeah, okay. yeah, I wasn't a lad who, who was like, yeah, let's go get some drinks. Yeah, let's yeah, go yeah. Move, move some girls. But I wasn't a an, an ak, which just means brother. In yeah. uh, I was, an aki, an aki. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a bearded, faux wearing man. All right. Yeah, you know, I was in the middle. I think that's a that's a really good distinction that you've made there when it comes to identity and specifically the the development of identity. So like, um, I was recently listening to one of Jordan Peterson's talks, and for those of you who don't know who Jordan Peterson is, I recommend. Just seeing is, I think he brings up some interesting uh, topics in to to think about. But he, this is less about his topics, more about one of these kind of like psychological facts that he's put on about the social nature of man, and he he talks a lot about how young children uh, distinguish themselves. So like, if you tell a four-year-old child, yeah, that he's he's acting like a two-year-old that is like major offense because they are so identity identity prone they're like i'm four years old i'm four years and they can't wait to be like older like because they know that a five-year-old is is like a don <laughs> compared you know they are so stuck to that and maybe some of us will be able to relate to that i know i definitely yeah can. definitely 100%. when i when i went to algeria <laughs> so i think it was due to my dad yeah so i was so i moved to algeria i was about i was eight my dad put me in this class with 11-year-olds and um, I didn't know. I couldn't speak French or Algerian. I was just there. Maybe I was big bones. Like, yeah, I don't know why. And then about a month in, they moved me down three years. Yeah. So they moved me three years. Not, and I was just thinking, why the fuck have they put me here? It's just because I can't speak French or whatever. But in the class, I remember, so everyone there was about like, Seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. around so that age. You, so your age. So basically. my age, yeah. yeah. But people would be like, 
would be like, whoa, you're big. How, how old are you? I'd be like, 13. <laughs> Just try, trying to front, like, you can't fuck with me. I'm 13. <laughs> Yeah, just just uh, <laughs> some madness like that. Um, so the the reason I brought it up is because the your development in your identity is is a I think a really important structure that you need to get behind. So Adam just brought up the idea of you kind of act in one way and go towards a certain extreme, and then you're introduced to something that is. Uh, not necessarily completely opposing to the things that you've been doing, but different. Yeah. And you try to kind of like do that completely. But the important thing about, I think, the development of your um, identity is once you commit to that thing for a month or however long, as you try to start to step back and realize that that's not really how you want to be, you should definitely take the important principles out of it and not... Uh, not look for like the kind of like one size fits all answer because the truth is like i bet now you could stand in a group of muslims who are a bit more like phobe wearing beard sporting dons and be a little bit like i kind of know what you guys are talking about yeah you know have more of a chat with them and you could feel like less alienated in that group yeah and you could also hang out with a group of Lads, as Lads. you put it, yeah, and also feel less alienated in the group, and it's it's very much the same same with me. Like, I have a huge variety of friends, and when I went to university, I didn't necessarily hide away from people who drank alcohol, or did drugs, um, but I was definitely able to to fit in because, well, because of the experiences that I'd had in my life, and I was by no means like like antisocial because of my lack of alcohol drinking. Mm. If anything, I was too social. And uh, my non-alcohol drinking just made me organise it better. Yeah, just more clear-headed. Yeah, just more clear-headed, you know. Like, go out, chat to loads of people the next day. What's that? Chatting to more people again. <laughs> this guy's got stamina forever. Because, well, actually, I'm kind of addicted to sweets. Like, they, they fuck me up. Yeah, they are like my su- alcohol. Sweets, I think, is our family's cocaine. Yeah, our family's <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> we just like... <laughs> Sugar! Like, when I compare the amount of sweets we eat to, like, my friends, yeah. like, like, these guys have pantries where they're able to yeah, keep sweets. Yeah, I know, right? I like, know. For, like, days. That's a shout-out to Joe Lloyd right there. We were just chatting about his pantry on Saturday when, when I went to see a good friend friend of mine. Um, but in turn, so we've looked at how, like, school affected you. Let's, let's get a little bit more uh, clarity on that. Now... From the, from the external perspective of the education system, obviously they're not seeing it from, from like a, a young kid point of view because the young kid goes into like secondary school and they kind of see everything and they kind of sort of assume that it all is the same. For example, your interactions with your friends and your interactions in class can be the same, you know? Like, I want to be cool all the time and wherever, if you don't have a clear distinction of I want success in my education and I want success in my social life, you're just looking for this like general success, which in turn I feel makes you fail a little bit on both sides of it. Do you, do you follow what I'm trying to say? Mm. I'm gonna have to ask you to repeat that. Okay, so now I'll just say it from a different perspective. So, like, 
when the the government or the governing body of the schools are is trying to create a structure of education they don't just like throw a few classes together yeah. and go there they think okay so how long are the break times going to be what does like a child who's passing through our education system need to achieve for us to say that we've done a good job educating them okay. and the things that they measure aren't necessarily going to be just the grades you get yeah. but also your ability to interact as a social okay. being. Yeah. So their job is to create an environment where people can interact okay. um, and you know create these internal socialised structures yeah, and yeah. understand the difference, but it's also to make sure that the social structures that they create are beneficial to how they develop. Now, okay. think about it like this. If you studied German... Yeah. Uh, in like year 10 or 11 and you were like oh I'm really struggling with my GCSEs like you'd think that maybe you would have a group of friends who also study German that you could study German together with mm -hmm. you have a common aim and the common aim also furthers that now the school system would divide like the benefits so you've got social interaction you've got um actual grading and future prospects with ed education. You also have fitness and well-being in that sense. So they're trying to cover all those aspects. But when you're a kid in year seven, and possibly throughout the entire time of education, all you see is, I'm going to school. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. You don't think, okay, so this is why I'm doing that, this is why I'm doing that. There is no clear division. Yeah. Now, from my perspective is, the, sorry, the question I wanted to ask was, if you felt that you made like a kind of distinguishing choice in school to, um, to like keep, keep developing socially, physically and mentally. Um, so from what I understood about what you were saying about school and whatnot um it's like almost as if they're giving you tasters of each each thing almost like a taste of different aspects and i i've kind of i kind of see that um i'm not gonna lie i did lose my train of thought okay all right fair enough so just to reiterate um do you remember making choices in secondary school that were separate in terms of how you were looking to develop yourself rather than seeing school as school do you remember being in school and thinking i want to do well and get good grades therefore i will do this i want to be fit and you know be physically well structured and do this i want to be a social gem and do this do you remember making those those distinctions in your choices? Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think, hundred percent. That definitely there was some choices I made, like such as, uh, I remember year seven I went to football training at like six thirty, which was which was awful back in London because it's cold and dark, especially in the winter the winter months. But um, my relationship with school was mainly like this is school, and yeah. I have to attend this. Oh, okay. And um, I, I kind of kept it separate from my what I saw as my personal development. Mm -hmm. Maybe there were certain years where 
um, I did go into school and I, I did separate it. Right. I remember in year eight, I had a maths teacher called Mr. Maltby, uh, who did get fired at the end of year eight. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the, the head of maths did tell us, is it your fault? <laughs> like, legit, she came to us and said, yeah, this is your fault. Like, this is why he got fired. Really? <laughs> yeah. Why? And um, basically, his lesson was just, just banter. Like, we uh, used to right. go into his lesson and we used to just fuck about for like an hour. Yeah. Like, yeah. My maths grade did not improve that whole year. Uh-huh. It was just like that. Yeah. But I think in those, those maths lessons, I kind of separated them from one my idea of school like oh right all right why 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 do you think fucking about was i think separated i think because in my head especially when i was younger school was mainly like oh for fuck's sake i gotta right go to school yeah whereas lessons like that where i was just fucking about for like 50 minutes to an hour Mm. were, were fun and so i think that's where that separation came Right. So, did you do you think that you ever found that um, kind of sense of fun um, throughout the rest of school, or was it always like obli- obligation based? No, hundred um, percent. I think the secondary school was a lot of fun. Mm. Like, especially now when you have more responsibility and almost you don't let yourself have as much fun. Right. Because yeah. you feel like, oh, well, I need to get on this. Mm. I need to start earning money. I need to start developing my future so I have a career that I can go into. Yeah, I think yeah. As an adult, you don't let yourself just enjoy it. Yeah. Whereas well, that's, that's a mental health side of things. Yeah, like. I think. But I think in in secondary school, as a child, you don't you don't overthink things as much in in that way. I don't yeah, think. Yeah. I think you definitely overthink things, but it, like differently. It doesn't restrict you in the same way. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Way. That's a really good point that you that you brought up actually. That um, a lot of people, a lot of people restrict themselves from from enjoying life in the same way that you would in secondary school. Um, I mean, I'd argue that there was people that have the opposite effect. Yeah, where they thought totally secondary agree. school was completely restricting to them. Um, and actually, I was going to ask about how you kind of separated your identity throughout secondary school. Um, you, you did mention about how you never saw it, saw it as like you saw school as separate from your personal development, um, which is quite quite interesting, I think, especially since uh, you spend so much time at school when you're young. If you separate your personal development, you know, you're kind of putting yourself at risk of being underdeveloped in a certain sense. Because, like, unless you're super organized, like, I know, I can imagine some families where, like, I had a friend who went swimming before, like, woke up at 5 a.m., swimming before school, go back, do do his homework, swimming after school, and he's just, like, nonstop swimming. And that's personal development in a certain sense, but he definitely wouldn't be able to do that by himself. Like, he would need his parents to be there and be like, come on, let's go. Um, Coincidentally, his name was Adam as well. Yeah, but not Adam. Adam. Well, my name. That's a little in joke. <laughs> in joke, right there. For those of you who uh, who don't know. Um. But what I kind of want to ask about is this kind of obligation, this kind of feeling that you can't have fun. Like from my understanding, 
you don't have too much commitment at the moment, like compared to a standard individual who's finished university and they're, they're, they've got a nine to five job. Um, you don't have much commitment yet. You still described your kind of like life position as, as, as they would. I think um, for me, the reason why I describe it in, in that way is because I think I'll be able to have more fun if I did have a job. Oh, okay. Because for me, it's about having that stability. Right. Like I would be able to be stable. I would be able to have an income coming in every month. Uh. And I would be able to have some sort of progression I could follow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas right now, I don't really have that yet. And it's almost, you kind of feel guilty, like, that you don't have that. Is that like a social br- pressure? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a social pressure. Because, yeah. I know. mean, to be fair, I have I have that with, with what I'm doing. Like, I'm not earning anywhere near as much as, like, some, some of my friends are. Um, but fair enough, I don't work anywhere near as much as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I still feel that social pressure just from family and kind mm. of, like, this imaginary obligation. Um, but, you know, in in that sense, like, you feel like you don't have fun and... Do you feel that you would make an active change to that if it's been highlighted in your life that you want to have fun? I'm assuming you want to have fun. Yeah, of course. Like, what would you need to do to make an active change to kind of change your identity from someone who is trapped by the social pressure of, I can't really do much because I don't have financial stability. But then when you get financial stability, you don't have time to do anything. So it seems like you're just at the start of a never-ending loop where you're never going to have fun again. <laughs> like, um, how are you going to change that? If you want to. I, I honestly don't know. I think, I think in, in some aspects, you just have to figure that out as a person. You have to figure out that balance about, <clears throat> about where, where you can have fun and where you have to, have to work. I think that's why right now I don't feel like I'm having fun, even though you could argue, you know, you're you're on you're playing PS4 a lot, you're enjoying time with your friends a lot. I think it's because I am leaning towards that extreme where I'm only having fun, I'm only relaxing. Right. So, so there's no distinction. Yeah. There's no. There's no but, distinction. Yeah. There's no up and down. There's like, only uh, let's say an up. Yeah. But I'd argue like, look, uh, for me, my my downtime between work and the things that I do is uh, maybe I'll get into and watch something on Netflix like sure that's that's fun in a sense but it's not fun like I'm not going skydiving I'm not going paintball it's not like overly active sense of fun it's just kind yeah. of like yeah I'll do it and I I don't know how intense your PlayStation 4 is but well I mean one of our bad sessions can leave you mentally scarred I can leave you mentally yeah. that is that is intense um, I but I'd say that like you probably get used to that level of of fun, and this is actually an issue to do with um, with lifestyle. That I think a lot of people haven't really overcome. Like you talked about the balance between work and fun, and I think that that's the wrong question to focus on. Um, what I think you should look at is the level of satisfaction in your life overall. Like. If you become the type of person who distinguishes work and fun, you will forever find reason to be dissatisfied mm. with with how you are. Yeah. You know, if something goes wrong, you'll be like, "Oh, I need to 
do more of this or I need to be more like that. And there's always going to be like a kind of push and pull between your two lives. But, you know, if you're, it's that classic, like if your work is fun, then. You've got that, you've got that already. It, yeah. Like you, there's no need to separate them and then try mm. to find the balance. Like it exists there. And what you have to talk about is less about work and fun and more about intensity and relaxation mm-hmm. because like when you play video games generally it it's quite should be quite relaxed even if your mm. sessions leave you kind of like fired up i think it depends on how much time you invest and how 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 you feel about that video game to be honest fair i think yeah. if you're if you're playing it a lot right and someone calls you shit you're like, listen, I invested a lot of time into this. How oh, dare you? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really, really getting to you. Well, that kind of, that'll we'll kind of leave uh, our session there. And uh, just to summarize, we talked about identity um, as we grew up, uh, identity developing as you grow up, and um, mainly talking about identity through secondary school. Um, is there... Well, and we'll be talking about lots of different other points of identity throughout this month. Uh, hopefully, you guys tune in. And if you've got any suggestions, let me know and I'll give you a shout out or invite you onto the show to talk more about it. Okay, thanks. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs>